Justin, and thank you. I hope every dad got a donut. Uh, it looked like there were, uh, you know, more donuts to be had. So make sure you grab those donuts and get those eaten. Get your sugar high. You know, if you pass out, you know, you can get another one on the way out, and it'll, regurg- it'll get you going till the next stop. So that's good. Appreciate all the work that Luke uh, and Brianna put into getting all of that ready for us today. And I do pray that, that you're encouraging the Lord. Normally I give a charge to the dads and do all of that. I'm not going to do that this morning. I have a long way to go, a short time to get there, as they said back in the old days. And, uh, and so I'm going to jump into the Word. But actually this message in itself is a charge. It is a, it's a, I've titled it a you know, Fighting for Fatherhood. And fatherhood is under attack today. We're going to talk about that. And uh, it's important that, uh, that we understand uh, you know, the importance of fatherhood, especially in the culture in which we live. And so uh, I could have tied this into our existing sermon series very nicely uh, as we're going to, getting into the whole armor of God, but I, I have some uh, specifics I want to touch on in that, in that sermon, so I decided that i just take this weekend and just focus on fathers. And I'm really thankful for all of you dads that have made, a, made an effort to be here today. Uh, maybe if you're not accustomed to coming to church or what have you, uh, I appreciate you being here this morning to be with us this morning, because church is for men, by the way. Uh, Jesus is a man, and he started the church, so we praise God for that. Uh, And so, uh, you know, as Solomon said, uh, there's nothing new under the sun. You know, Satan has been fighting against the will of the Father since he fell in pride uh, and his rebellion. And so today I want to address the matter of fatherhood from Scripture as we consider the need to fight uh, for the biblical definition of the application of fatherhood. Now, if you would, just uh, stand with me. I want to read the Word of God. We're going to be in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. And as you're standing, let me give you a little bit of background on this chapter in this book. I think many of you know the Corinthians were a kind of a carnal culture. And as Paul opens chapter 4 with a discussion of stewardship of the mysteries, uh, we talk quite often about the mysteries and our stewardship of them. That's how he starts chapter 4 in verses 1 and 2, talking about stewardship. And he continues to give a very real-life, practical example of what it means to be a steward. And I want to pick it up. Some of the suffering that he and the apostles and and his uh, disciples were enduring as they were endeavoring to be stewards. And it'll just tie us into where we're going this morning in regard to this subject of fatherhood. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, and we're going to pick it up in verse 9. The apostle Paul says here, for I think that God has set forth us, the apostles last, as it were appointed to death, for we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. So there's three groups of people that are watching, the world, the angels, and men. Verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised, even unto this present hour. We both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place. And labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and as the offscourging of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. For though you had 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son 
and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. Heavenly Father, we're thankful uh, this morning for the words of God. I'm thankful for the workers of God and, and how, Lord, we live our lives before, uh, before the world, before angels, and before men, just as the Apostle Paul did. And Heavenly Father, I, I am so thankful for um, this opportunity to address the subject of fatherhood this morning. I'm so thankful for all that's going on around our church body, uh, for all the decor that's been done, for the VBS, for uh, all the activity that's been going on uh, just around the clock this last week. And Lord, we pray a blessing on that. Lord, we pray for Steve Morford, who's bereaved at the passing of Gala. Lord, there's a lot of things that are on our minds as a church body today. And yet, Lord, everyone is focusing on Father's Day. This is a day where we focus on this particular um, uh, aspect of the family and our culture, Lord. And it's a blessed thing to have a day for mothers, a day for fathers, and, and to focus on the components of, of the family. For Heavenly Father, you have given us everything we need to know about the family. You have blessed us with this um, with this structure, with this, uh, with this dynamic in human nature, Lord, to need husband and wife, mother and father, children, sons and daughters, Lord. Thank you so much for establishing all of those things and making it clear for us in Scripture so we can be clear and unconfused and very crystallized in how we understand not only these aspects of life, but who you are and why you formed them and who we are in Christ. Heavenly Father, I do pray this morning that if there is anyone this morning that is not begotten by the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that today they would be born again and become a son of God. We thank you and we praise you for this time in your word. We pray a blessing to the reading and the hearing in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So this morning as we talk about fighting for fatherhood, we're going to look at three things, and that is the definition of fatherhood, the defense of fatherhood, and then I'm going to give a declaration to fathers. I'll leave that to the end. But if you're looking for the definition of fatherhood, it's pretty simple. You just go to the Bible. That's what we do. Paul said, uh, yet ye have not many fathers. And then he goes on to speak of begetting the Corinthians through the gospel. Historically, Paul helped uh, plant this church in Acts chapter 18 after leaving Athens in his famous sermon on Mars Hill. Uh, there in Acts 17, he moved on up to Corinth and he went from synagogue to synagogue preaching and and along the way, he, he was uh, met up with Aquila and Priscilla, and then Timothy and Silas joined him, and they established this church in Corinth. It was a church plan, and it was formed from a remnant of believing Jews and, uh, and then, of course, Gentiles. This is a church, uh, uh, this is a place, where a city where Paul told the Jews, I'm leaving your Jews. They were so hard-hearted. He says, I'm done with you. I'm going to the Gentiles. He actually stated that. And so this is a very uh, Gentile church. It's, it's an epistle that we can really get a hold of uh, in our culture today. And it really is applicable to our time today and as we deal with fathers. Because fatherhood and, the, and fruit bearing go hand in hand. Fatherhood and fruit bearing go hand in hand. We see this as we see the biblical definition of fatherhood. For the word uh, fatherhood is actually not found in the scripture. So if you get your concordance out, look for fatherhood. You're not going to find it. But you will find the word father 1,126 times in your Bible. So it's a, it's a, it's a very important subject in the Bible. Uh, the first mention, point A, first mention of father in the Old Testament is found in Genesis 22, and, or Genesis 2, I'm sorry, in verse 24, in regard to a man leaving his father and mother and cleaving unto his wife. They too shall be one flesh. God gives this commandment 
in Genesis 2.24. And in this passage, it speaks to the responsibility of the husband to leave the father and mother and cleave to his wife. And it's clear that God desires husbands to be completely committed to their wives, right? Right off the get-go. Commitment's a big part of it. What? You leave mom and dad and you go with your wife. God's making a statement right there about a man's commitment to his wife. So Paul would reveal the mystery later. God would, through Paul, would reveal the mystery of Christ and the church in Ephesians 5, verses 31 and 32, which we spoke about uh, just a couple weeks ago as we were leading into chapter 6 and children obeying uh, and servants and masters, which we covered in our realities. And so in that passage in Ephesians 5, Paul spoke of the intimacy between a man and his wife and how they are joined together, um, <clears throat> picturing for us the commitment of Christ to the church. So Jesus is so committed to his bride, the church, that he left heaven, right? He's that committed. You talk about leaving father and mother. He left heaven. He condescended to men and became lower than the angels for the suffering of death so he could fulfill the will of the Father and unite us with his Father. And so we are married in to, uh, to the Godhead through Jesus Christ. That's an amazing thing. Now Christ is in us of a truth. The Spirit of God indwells us when we get saved. So for all of eternity, the church will relate to the Godhead through Christ, who is the church's husband. And of course, uh, now God is our Father because of the Lord Jesus Christ. So today, it's customary in, in urban culture to call the father of your child a baby daddy. How many of you heard that phrase, right? And uh, you hear it all the time. It's pretty common today. And that's because the notion of fatherhood is being destroyed in our culture. You know, 40% of the children uh, in the United States are born out of wedlock. So the husband and the wife, or they're, they aren't husband and wife. They're, they're not married and so 40%. Now, in some states, it's over 50%. There's three states, if you were watching the slides before the service, that uh, have three, three states uh, are, are more than that. Over 50% of the births are to unwed uh, mothers. And of that, of that 40% nationally, that's a national statistic here in the United States, uh, a quarter of those, right, 25% of those are actually going to be like fatherless, there's not a father in the home. Now, hopefully, Grandpa or Uncle Joe or somebody comes in and, and helps, or they are part of a local church, and there can be father figures. But 25% then of those children are not going to have a male influence. And there's many that will clap and applaud that. Oh, good, and they're going to be free from the patriarchy. They're going to grow up to be nice, uh, really confused uh, people. And so the actor Denzel Washington grew up in a pretty rough neighborhood, and, it's often quote, and he's often quoted saying, uh, that there's a difference between him and many of his peers and uh, who went on, to, many to become criminals and go to prison. Some have died um, and all of those things. And in 2017, he said this. He said, it starts at, at the home. It starts with how you raise your children. If a young man doesn't have a father figure, he'll go and find a father figure. And so, you know, I can't blame the system. It's unfortunate that we, we make such easy work of them, uh, for them. That's what Denzel said in, in, uh, in 2017, and uh, he gets a lot of blowback for statements like that, but that's absolutely true. Uh, <clears throat> men and women, uh, when they're children especially, need fathers. They need fathers in their lives. Uh, there's no doubt about it, and when the fathers are not in their lives, it causes problems in the, in the, not only in the home, but ultimately in society, and fatherhood is about provision. We know, we looked at, I think it was last year, I taught out of Malachi on fathers, right? And we talk about, in a devotional sense, how part of the second coming is turning the hearts of the sons to the fathers. That's how the end of the Old Testament ends, talking about that, and how Israel has strayed so far 
from what the Bible taught them and how their fathers interacted with God. So point B, the last mention of father in the Old Testament is in Malachi 2.10. Speaking of Malachi, uh, the last mention in the Old Testament, it says, Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Now this uh, mention comes in the form of a question. And for a Jew, historically, the question would return as a rhetorical response, understanding that, of course, Abraham is nationally the Jew's father, in the Old Testament, that's the predominant way that Father was used. This concept that we have of a personal relationship with our Heavenly Father was not around until the New Testament. In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 6, the Bible goes on to say, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If I then be a father, where is my honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests that despise my name, and you say, wherein have we despised thy name? So God was asking questions about his relationship to the nation of Israel and the priests saying, hey, you need to honor me like I'm a father because you're not doing that. You, you, they don't understand uh, you know, where they've got fallen short. Why is God not happy? Well, it's what we've been learning in Ephesians 6, right, in verse 1. Children, obey, right? They were not obeying. Their father. And God's like, you want to know where you're, where you're dishonoring me? Look at your obedience. Are you obeying the very words that you say you believe? So the last verse in the Old Testament addresses the subject of fatherhood, as I mentioned, where he says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, which today we know is the second coming because John the Baptist wasn't that prophet. Uh, and he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. So this is a prophetic declaration at the end of the New Test or the end of the Old Testament, and concerning the timing uh, and the and the tribulation or the coming tribulation when Israel as a nation will repent and return to the faith of the Old Testament fathers and acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ. Zechariah chapter twelve says this in verse nine. It says, "And it shall come to pass in that day, what day? The day of the Lord, that I sh I will seek to destroy all the nations that come against Jerusalem." And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son, and shall be in bitterness for him as one that is in bitterness for his firstborn. You know, it's, it's possible that in your life, uh, the relationship that you had with your father or maybe with your sons or your daughters isn't been ideal, but just, just take note that even God the Father's had a tough relationship with his children as well. Whether it's Adam going off the rails, whether it's Israel going off the rails, and of course, whether it's you and me going off the rails, right? So God is a good father, and we're thankful for those promises, right? Those things that he's like, he gives us mercy, and he doesn't give us uh, the judgment that we often deserve because he put it on his son, Jesus Christ. So point C, first mention of father in the New Testament's in Matthew 2, verse 22, when it says, but when he heard... Uh, that Aristarchus, I'm sorry, um, um, Archelaus, I, was, I, missed, I don't know where I got Aristarchus. When Archelaus did reign in Judah in the room of his father, Herod, it was, uh, he was afraid to go thither. Notwithstanding being warned of God in a dream, he turned aside to go in the parts of Galilee. When you see the first mention of father in the New Testament, I first actually was like, well, I don't know how I'm going to tie that into anything. But then I looked closer and God showed me what that's all about. You know, it's an interesting thing. The father that's not mentioned there is, is Joseph, right? 
He's the, he is the stepfather of Jesus. And uh, what is he doing? He's protecting the seed from another father, the, 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 the son of Herod who ran him off to Egypt to start with, that killed all the babies when Jesus was born in Bethlehem. You know, that's interesting because even though Joseph isn't named there, you see two fathers. We'll talk about that a little later. Right? There is an influence that's affecting fatherhood. And of course, it is the devil. Jesus addresses that in John chapter 8. There's one here. Herod is, is persecuting uh, the seed of Christ. Christ is being protected by his stepfather. Uh, God the Father is using the stepfather, uh, Joseph, to redirect him from Bethlehem up north into Galilee, where we see Jesus continue to grow in grace and knowledge until he becomes uh, available in his public ministry at the baptism of John the Baptist at the Jordan River. So in the first mention of Father in the New Testament, there is a need for protection. Amen, fathers? Boy, is there more, and more than ever a need for us men to emulate the Father in heaven and provide protection, uh, especially for what we're stewarding in the Word of God and the seed of God's Word going into the children in which we're responsible for, whether they be physical or spiritual. Last mention of the word Father in the New Testament is Revelation 14.1, and it deals with uh, the Lamb. He says, And I looked, and lo, a Lamb. Of course, that Lamb is a proper noun. Uh, that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He stood on the Mount Zion, and with him 144,000 having his Father's name written in their foreheads. What a tremendous passage. So we see all this drama in the book of Revelation in the conclusion, and everybody even in our t culture today is worried about the mark of the beast. Why? Because we know Satan is going to try to brand every man like cattle and take ownership of both man and the earth. But the good news is God has his men. There'll be 144,000, and guess what? They'll be marked. They'll have, a, they'll have the, the name of the Father in their head. Uh, that's what it says there. You can go back in the Old Testament and see prophecies of that as well. And so the Scripture has a lot to say about the Father's. And fatherhood, point E. The scripture has much to say about that. So uh, good fathers reflect the father in heaven's character. And I'm going to just run through some uh, samples of this real quickly, so you'll have to keep with me. Some examples of that that you'll find are uh, point A, or point one for a bullet point for you on your notes. Good fathers are loving and compassionate to their children. Are you loving and compassionate to your children? Children, You know what God is. He pities his children. It says in Psalms 103 and verse 13, Like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Luke chapter 11 and verse 11 says, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he uh, offer him a scorpion? Or if, uh, if ye then, being evil... Notice that, that's what he says. I was just talking to a brother, uh, I believe Brother Saucerman was in the foyer. We're talking about liars. That's a good conversation, isn't it? And you know what? We're talking about the, I think he said the best liars are fishermen, or the best, how do you, I don't know how he said that, but it was, we're talking about fishermen, and, and I don't know how we, I, I lost the conversation now. I'm, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought that up, brother. But anyway, um, but at the end of our conclusion, you know what we ended up saying? All men are liars, you know, and that's true. Uh, that's why we need a Savior. Uh, but you know what? There's a, there's, as you look at this passage and you think about what Jesus is saying, he says, if you being evil, all, men are evil. None is righteous. No, not one. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, even evil fathers give good things to their children. Right? You can be a mafia don and you're still going to treat your kids okay. Well, sort of. And so, uh, 
But you can, you can be an evil, wicked human and still have a, a, a natural compassion and, and grace for your children. And Jesus is pointing that out in verse 13 of Luke 11. He says, if, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit unto them that ask him? Right? We've got the best gift. We've got the gift, the gift of the Holy Ghost. John chapter 3, you guys know God so loved the world right, that he, he, he gave his only son. Um, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, I should say rather, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. But he didn't do that because he's a hater, as you might hear in the news. God's not a hater, right? The reason he gave his son is because men were condemned already. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but, through, uh, but through, that the world through him might be saved. The world's in a lot of trouble. And it took a father in heaven saying, you know what, I'm going to dispatch my son to deal with the trouble. Uh, he came and became our advocate, the Bible says in 1 John. He became our propitiation, the replacement for our sin. Jesus Christ is that man, and the Father had enough love for us to send him. Fathers should not provoke their children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. We touched on that already as well in our study of Ephesians. And you fathers, provoke not your children, but bring them up uh, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Now that's practical. Okay, are, are we doing that? Are you provoking your children to wrath, or are you bringing them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Colossians 3.21 says, Fathers, provoke not your children to anger, lest they be discouraged. You, you need courageous young men, courageous young women? Well, guess what? Don't provoke them to wrath. They will become discouraged. They will lose courage. They need your encouragement so they have courage to face the battles of the day. Men, it's important. It's important that men take on the role of fatherhood. Fathers provide security and stability, as we already seen with Joseph. In John 10, the Bible says, And I give unto them eternal life, and they, that they never, uh, shall never perish, neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Right? Nobody's going to take you out of God's hand. My Father which gave them to me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Talk about security. He says, listen, we're secure because we're in the Father's hand, and you're secure because I and the Father are one, by the way. So if you're a JW, you just got to chew on that. That's what it says. All right, so point, uh, the next point, fathers are de uh, uh, care deeply for their children. Right? There needs to be an emotional connection. I remember a, a young man one time that I knew very, very closely. Uh, have, I have a great deal of uh, care for him. He had these two... Uh, beautiful daughters, little little kids, and, and he had no ability to actually connect with them at an emotional level. And it took a man of God, a construction worker from our church, to get in his grill, get in his world, come into his house and his life and observe what he, how he was not interacting with his kids and said, for goodness sake, man, pick up your daughters and love on them. They need your affection. They need your love. And so he started doing that. Man, it makes a big difference. Sometimes men think, oh, well, I'm too tough for that. Well, man, you don't even know what you're talking about. Jesus cares deeply for his children. God, I should say, the fathers care deeply for their children. Matthew 10, 29, right? Says, Are not two sparrows sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fail or fall on the ground without your, uh, without your father? But the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are more valuable than many sparrows." Sometimes we get this construct of God, this big robot, this uh, Augustinian view, uh, which really comes from Plato of God, like he's some robot in the sky, right? disassociated from the creation as far as the, 
the, the, how we're made. That is, not, that is not the Father in heaven. That is not the God. That's Zeus. We don't worship Zeus. We worship the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Go through the Old Testament and read it. Man, he's a father. He's a father to a nation. He's a father to the Lord Jesus Christ. And now if you're born again, he's a father to you. Man, he's connected to you in a very deep way. And he cares about you. Uh, if he didn't, he wouldn't have sent his son to die. Fathers, make sure you care deeply for your children. Have some care and some compassion. Fathers give good gifts to their children. Matthew 7, uh, 7 through 11 talks about that. And it shall <clears throat> ask and it shall be given. Seek and, it, and ye shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. And to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you whom if his son asks bread, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall the Father which is in heaven give good things unto them that ask? So these are just samples of the things that we can learn about fatherhood from a proper biblical definition. And we want to draw our definition and define what fatherhood is about from the Scriptures. And so the importance of biblical definitions of fatherhood are so uh, important. By studying the Scripture, we find the Old Testament spoke a little of the, of the, uh, in comparison to the New Testament of God the Father. So God the Father, is a, as I mentioned, is a father of nations, and, and God is mentioned, uh, you know, he's mentioned in different aspects of the Old Testament. But at the end of the day, the most precious verses that we have in the New Testament on fatherhood are found in my mind in Romans chapter 8 and verses 15 through 16. It says, For ye have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but ye have received the spirit of adoption whereby we cry, Abba, Father. Right? The Hebrew word is, is Abba, and the Greek word is Father. Now, the Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And with that comes all the provision, all the protection, all of the security, all of the encouragement, all of those things I was just talking about comes to us because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. And now, God being our Father, His Father is our Father. That's a big deal. And that's why we need to remember that. Galatians says in verse 6 of chapter 4, And because ye are sons, God hath sent forth the Spirit of His Son into your hearts, crying, Abba. So, Abba, Father, wherefore thou art no more a servant, but a son, and if a son, then heir of God through Christ. Oh man, that is just, that's explosive with meaning. We have in our hearts, like we have, the, we have the Spirit of God crying, Abba, Father. Paul mentions that again. Paul picks up where Jesus left off. This kind of talk, this personal, intimate knowledge of God the Father was not talked about in the Old Testament. This personal relationship with God the Father that was not understood in the Old Testament. Just a handful of times was in, were individuals connected with God the Father at all in the Old Testament. But all of us, if you're born again, you have the Spirit of the living God in you, and we cry out, Abba, Father. It, the Spirit helps us, right? He helps our infirmities. And so he, he, you, there is an inclination. I'm lifting my hands. Why? Because when a child wants to go to their daddy, they, they lift up their hands. You know, you hear that, and it's kind of like worn out, but it's still true, isn't it? So God desires a personal relationship with his sons. What good father doesn't want to have a personal relationship with his son? 
In 1 John 3, of course, a very familiar passage, the Bible tells us, John is like saying, check this out, man. Behold what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Therefore the world knoweth us not. Right? We know that we talked about it in what Paul said in Corinthians. The world, the angels, and, and, uh, and men are looking at us. He says the world doesn't understand this. Uh, we, we'll talk about that in just a moment. Uh, the world doesn't understand that. The, the world doesn't understand who we are. Uh, he says, God, therefore the world knoweth us not because it knew him not. You're going to get the same reception that the Son of God received. And verse 2 says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It's not someday. It's now. That's why the baptism of the Holy Ghost, the moment you get saved when the Spirit of God indwells you, is so important. That is the moment of your birth. Bam. You become a son of God at that moment. Now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we should... Uh, well, it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. So Paul described God as Father over 40 times in the New Testament. And he, he described him uh, in regard to blessing in Romans 1, 7, and thanksgiving in 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3, and prayers in Colossians 1, 12, and exhortations in Ephesians 5, 20, and even included him in the doctrinal statements of 1 Corinthians 8, 6, and Ephesians 4, 6. So when Paul needed an example for the Corinthians to follow, you know what he did? Look at your text with me. He's like, you know what? I need, I need to give these guys an example. As a matter of fact, I, I, I need them to understand what a minister it looks like. We are stewards of the mysteries of Christ, he's telling them. And because of that, we are suffering. We're counted as filthy. There is no, there, he's saying, look, we're putting up with a lot of stuff, but we're happy to do it because Jesus is worthy. And so I want to see this kind of faith filled and formed in you. So I'll be right over. I'm your daddy, spiritually speaking. Now, obviously not taking anything from God the Father. But I, I, I'm here to help direct you, to guide you. So I'll be right over. No, that's not what he does. Look back at what we read. Let's just look at this again. Let's pick it up in verse 14. He says, For I write not these things to shame you. I'm not trying to discourage you, right? But as my beloved sons, I warn you. He's taking a patriarchal role here. He's not, not in place of the father. But as sons, he says, I warn you, for though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you have not many fathers, not many men in your life that really care for you, right? That, that, are, that represent all these things that we've looked at in the definition. He says, yet you have not many fathers, for in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Okay, sure, Paul, we'll do what you say. We'll do what you, you show us to do. And he says this in verse 17, For this cause I have sent unto you Timotheus, who is my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord, who shall bring you into remembrance of my ways, which be in Christ, as I teach everywhere in every church. You know what Paul did? He sent a living epistle. He sent a son, someone who was faithful. He says, you know what? I need you guys to, to follow me, so I am sending my son, a disciple. You know how we follow God the Father? We follow his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He sent his son. And then that son said, you know what? I want everyone to follow Follow me. So what did he do? He had 12 disciples, and he sent them out. And we're still doing that today. Discipleship is, is spiritual reproduction. We talk about it all the time. And so when we talk about discipleship, we're really talking about the same concept, the same principle that's found right here 
in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 in regard to how Paul is spiritually passing on the DNA uh, that has been given to him through Jesus, through his son in the Lord, not physical son, but his spiritual son, Timothy. All right, point two. We've got to keep moving. So let's talk about the defense of fatherhood. The defense of fatherhood. We've got the definition. Now we can talk about the defense. See, fatherhood is under attack. Fatherhood is defined in the world today as patriarchy, and it's increasingly maligned in its definition. And I don't know if you've noticed that, but I'm going to just run through some notable quotes that'll just kind of help you understand where folks are at. Uh, This person named uh, Bell Hooks, who's actually, her name was Gloria Jean Watkins. I think she passed away this year. She said, why is it that many contemporary male thinkers, especially men of color, repudiate the imperialist legacy of Columbus, but affirm dimensions of the legacy by the refusal to repudiate the patriarchy? This, uh, this, uh, this, This woman is saying, man, the patriarchy is a bad thing. Uh, and how is it that my brothers of color can, can reject Columbus, but they continue to continue uh, in the patriarchy, those chauvinist pigs? Uh, Jessica Williams is a 33-year-old actress and comedian. She said, I think we can topple the patriarchy by using our voices to speak out against things that aren't right and that we do not agree with. I think uh, for people who are not <clears throat> people of color or members of the LGBT uh, she missed Q, community. It's being an, al- <clears throat> an ally and being an advocate in spaces that people of color or members of the LGBT community can really get into. Oh, what a notable thought there. Um, another quote here from, a, 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 this is a scholar, um, a radical feminist philosopher uh, and academic uh, up at Boston University. She taught there for 33 years. She said, almost <clears throat> everything has been stolen from us by the patriarchy our creativity has been stolen, our creative energies, our religion. I want it back. She wants it back. It's that Amazon woman. She wants it back. Okay. Uh, and uh, there's another uh, lady named uh, Amanda Foreman, a British author and historian. She said, in 1861, uh, Bakufin published his radical thesis that the Amazons were not a myth, were not a myth but a fact. In his view, humanity started out under the rule of womankind and only switched to patriarchy at the dawn of civilization. Yeah, I wonder why that is. So there are literally hundreds, if not thousands, of quotes and writings that serve to tear down the patriarchy, patriarchy or what we would consider the male role in fatherhood. But even lost men and women cannot deny the way that God has instituted the patriarchy. Annie DeFranco is a 52-year-old folk singer. And I don't really know what she thinks about fatherhood, but her view is correct when she says patriarchy is like the elephant in the room that we don't talk about. But how could it not affect the planet radically when it is the superstructure of human society? I read that quote and I about fell out of my chair. I'm like, wow, hit the nail on the head. Why was that the case? Because it's based on God the Father, Right? His benevolence to a lost and fallen world. We wouldn't even have breath in our lungs without God the Father. We wouldn't even be here. And to stick our finger in his eye and mock the way he's designed things is foolishness. Jordan Peterson, who is certainly not saved, uh, he's on a world tour right now. He was in Bucharest, Romania yesterday, and he was recently in, he's touring Europe, you know, uh, doing his thing as a psychologist and 
uh, you know, activists, conservative activists or whatever. He said, the people who hold that our culture is an oppressive patriarchy, they don't want to admit that the current hierarchy might <clears throat> be predicated on competence. And so, ouch, he's a, he's a if you, you know, what he's saying is that uh, those that are espousing uh, anything other than um, basically a, uh, the system that's been in place with fatherhood and the male patriarchy uh, are uh, inadequate. I don't know about Jordan Peterson. It's not, he's not coming from the Bible's perspective. He says a lot of things you might agree with, uh, but you really need to make sure your definitions and your positions come from the Bible because the Bible brings heart. I got news for you. God isn't worried about what a, a bunch of perverts think about him in the sense of his, his, uh, he's, not, he's, not, he's not worried about losing anything to perverts. As a matter of fact, he's very concerned that they reject him and they die and go to hell. He's more concerned about them and their soul. It's self-evident where they are, right? They are already dead in trespasses and sins. They need what he provided, which was, I'm sorry, a son. Uh, Jesus Christ, the son, is who he provided for their salvation, for my salvation. So the primary problem that the, the, <clears throat> that the world has with fatherhood, um, or what is called the patriarchy in contemporary terms, is it represents masculine authority. And so Jesus honored the Father by submitting to his will as the Son. When he obeyed, which he always did, he obeyed the will of the Father. Right When it came in contradiction to the world, he chose the Father. The Father in, heaven's, in heaven is the authority, and he is the absolute authority in the universe. It is not just the elephant in the room. It is the elephant in the universe. God the Father is the absolute authority. An attack on, father, on, the father, on fatherhood, on the fatherhood of God, is an attack on God's authority and identity. Uh, just a couple years ago, there were, there's a movement among certain churches to remove the male identity and rewrite the liturgies and all of those things to get rid of the patriarchy in the scripture and to get rid of the patriarchy and make it all gender neutral. I, I would not be surprised when there comes a day when this very Bible that I read will be, uh, become, you know, a problem, hate speech. Why? Because it's so clear in its definitions of who God is and who Jesus Christ is and therefore who we are and how the family is designed and all of those things that are very much uh, clearly defined. It's not, it doesn't take a rocket science to figure this out. You don't even, it's already programmed in creation. So to be fair, by the way, why, how do you get here? I do want to balance what I'm saying, because I know already there's some, maybe even here, oh man, there's, here goes another misogynistic Baptist preacher, right? Okay, I know. But let me tell you something. <clears throat> there are a lot of men that have messed this thing up. You know, there's a lot of women and men that have been hurt. There's a lot of men that haven't been biblical fathers, right? They don't know the gospel, they don't know Christ, and some of the men that do have the gospel and do know Christ still don't act like fathers that they ought. And you know what that does? It damages people, damages their kids. And so to be fair, many men have not represented fatherhood properly nor biblically. Now, that doesn't mean that we should throw it out, by the way. It doesn't mean something is wrong with God or something is wrong with what he set forth. Just because Adam fell in the garden didn't mean God was sinful. God is a God of love. He was given man a choice, and he wants us to love him back. So... It's important that we do understand that some of these folks that are so angry against God, these are people <clears throat> that have been hurt because of a lack of the very thing that they're despising. 
to attempt to do away with the patriarchy is simply nonsense. Uh, so let's consider the source. <clears throat> Many have been influenced by the wrong father. I've already alluded to this earlier. One of the reasons there is a push against fatherhood is because too many people have been influenced by the wrong father. Jesus brought this discussion to a head with, when he addressed the scribes and the Pharisees in John 8. The Pharisees and the scribes understood God was their father through the faith of Abraham. The problem was they didn't receive the father's son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As Jesus pressed this point, it became apparent that these who claimed Abraham didn't have the same faith as Abraham. And in John chapter 8 and verse 39, Jesus said, They answered and said unto him, Abraham is our father. And Jesus saith unto them, If, he were Abraham, if ye were Abraham's children, ye would do the works of Abraham. But now you seek to kill me, a man that hath told you the truth, which I have heard of God. This did not Abraham. You do the deeds of your father. Then said they to him, We be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. And Jesus said unto them, if God were your father, ye would love me, for I proceeded forth and came from God. Neither came I of myself, but he sent me. Why do you not understand my speech? Even because you cannot hear my word. Ye are of your father, the devil, and the lust of your father ye will do. He was a murderer from the beginning and abode not in the truth, because there's no truth in him. When he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. You see, the problem is they had the wrong father. John 8, 44, Jesus drops this hammer, and it helps us understand the underlying problem in even the culture today. If you reject the son, you have rejected the father. The real reason people have a problem with the patriarchy is because they have a problem with God and his authority in their lives. And you can get, how many can say, yes, I remember that. I've been there. I remember when I was... Antichrist, right, before I got saved, working for the devil, so to speak. I mean, I know what it's like. And the very problem was I wasn't willing to bow my knee and confess with my mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord because I didn't understand the mercy of God. And until I saw God's wrath, I wasn't ready to repent. But boy, once I saw God's wrath and I realized what Jesus did on the cross, I, I, couldn't, get to the, I couldn't get on my knees quick enough because I knew I was squarely the object of his just wrath you got to know you're lost before you can get saved. So the disillusion of fatherhood, a.k.a. the patriarchy, leads to anarchy. Have you ever wondered how Israel declined so rapidly from entering the promised land in Joshua to descending into that apathy and that apostasy and ultimate anarchy in Judges? But we have an indication from what Joshua said. I just quoted it last week. In Joshua 24, verse 14, it says, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away uh, the gods which your father served on the other side of the flood in Egypt, and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose ye this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served, which were on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whom the land you dwell, uh, in, in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, Joshua is making a statement as an elder in Israel. And he was saying this. He's saying, look, uh, you have to make a decision. God's done a lot of great things, but if you continue to go backward, if you go back to the idols, which, by the way, were primarily uh, worshiping of female deities and fertility goddesses, you're going to lose this thing. For me, what did the father say of his own house? He's not talking about, he's, he's not saying, I'm not Moses, I'm Joshua. I've done my job, I've got us here. Me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. 
He took responsibility for his house, and he encouraged all the men of Israel to do the same. Else they go back to idolatry. There was only one way to go. Well, you know what they did? They went back to idolatry. And it wasn't long before the enemies had them under, under submission, right? And they had lost the inheritance that God had given them. And so if there is a weakness in the patriarchy, it's because men have left their families for the pleasures of this world and followed the wrong father and followed the enticements of this world, leaving their families to be prey of this world. Contemporary feminism has hijacked the, pro the progress made by the New Testament in exhorting the virtue of women. It was Paul in the first century who, ad who addressed women as individuals, by the way, and extolled their faith. It was Paul who showed uh, women uh, had equal value in Christ, by the way. Paul did that. He's the one who names Priscilla and Aquila, not just Aquila and Priscilla. Uh, it was Paul who sent Phoebe with the scriptures to Rome. It was Paul who told Timothy to emulate the faith of his daddy. No, Paul, he tells Timothy, emulate the faith of your mother and your grandma. He exalted those females as examples to men of what faith looked like. Paul read the Bible. He knew, who, he knew and he understood there were women like Abigail. There were women like Ruth. There were women <clears throat> um, like Esther, right? Women of faith, great women of faith, women like Deborah. God has used women all the way through the Bible. He's not misogynistic, but you would never hear that today from many. If men are misogynistic, it's because they don't understand their Father in heaven. The concept of chivalry in the New Testament is a New Testament concept. And it extols and exalts women. It doesn't demean them. And so, point C, the good news is fatherhood is unassailable. Man, praise God for that. You know that? Fatherhood's unassailable. The fact of the matter is that is the fatherhood of God is unassailable. The Father in heaven is an absolute authority. He is, he is God. There's nothing that will overturn his authority. Nothing's going to touch the Godhead. In Proverbs 21.30, the Bible says there's no wisdom nor understanding nor counsel against the Lord. Proverbs 19.21 says there are many devices in a man's heart. Nevertheless, the counsel of the Lord, that shall stand. There's no reason to get worried. There's no reason to freak out. The sky is not falling. Jeremiah 9.23 says, Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might, let not the rich man glory in his riches. Right? Who cares what George Soros thinks? At the end of the day... God's large and he's in charge. But let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. You want to know who God is? Read what he says and look at what he's done. He's done this in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. He delights in loving kindness. He delights in, in having uh, a judgment and righteousness. He, he, he delights in these, thing, in these things. You know, Gamaliel, <clears throat> the noted and esteemed Hebrew rabbi of the first century, who Paul sat under, as a matter of fact, who himself was a, rab was a teacher of teachers, right? A rabbi of the rabbis. He said this in Acts 5.39. He got this point. As he was observing what was going on around the ministry of Jesus Christ and then his disciples... And seeing all the power that God had bestowed upon them, he wisely said this in Acts 5.39, as they were warning, what do we do with these guys? How do we stop this message? He says, hey, but if, God, <clears throat> but if it be of God, you cannot overthrow it, lest happily we be found uh, even to fight against God. Gamaliel's, this is before Paul's even saved, Gamaliel's probably been talking to Nicodemus and getting some hard questions, and he's like, 
uh, you know what, guys? I'm not sure you, if this is of God, we cannot stop it. You're not going to overthrow the Godhead. You're not going to overthrow the way God's designed things. You're just going to cause problems. Many today will be found guilty by the Father if they don't receive the grace of His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The judgment's real. Peter addressed those who claimed to know the Father but rejected His Son in 1 Peter 2 and verse 7. He said, Unto you, therefore, which believe, He is precious, but unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. The great news is that we are saved and have been called out of darkness into God's marvelous light. In 1 Peter 2, 9, the Bible says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Point D, fatherhood should be honored. So don't diminish the role of fathers. Many, if not most, modern entertainment programs diminish the role of the father. You know, he's, he's good. Well, he's good for nothing, right? Uh, he, he's weak. He's emasculated. Uh, if he's even a figure at all in the home, he may not even be present there. The culture has gone uh, from father knows best to father knows nothing or is good for nothing. If they're even part of the plot at all. And, and man, that's why I wanted to address that this morning, because you, you're important to God. If it were not for the father in the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15, there'd be no hope for the prodigal, nor for his self-righteous brother. That story only works because there's a father who wants to restore both his sons. Fatherhood's important. Don't conflate the failure of your earthly father, by the way, with, with the character of your heavenly father. I know a lot of, in this room, there's many of you that have been damaged by earthly fathers. You've had fathers that have done everything but represent the Father in heaven. They've represented the devil. Well, don't let that confuse you, right? Don't allow the devil to take you off track. God's not the author of confusion. God loves you. He is a good father, and he wants you to be his child. And if, even if you're born again and you struggle with that, man, take some time and really meditate upon that, especially you can see a lot of his character just through the Old Testament stories and how he deals with Israel. You know how many times he did that same video thing that we watched? If you do that one more time, Israel, one more time. I mean, God was so gracious and long-suffering with Israel. He could have wiped them out with Jeroboam and Rehoboam. I mean, he could have just said, it's over. I'm done with this idolatry. And yet it goes on for centuries as he's looking for men that will follow him. And God's so gracious and merciful and kind. The Father in heaven uh, compensates for the failings of your human father. Even in your, in your nuclear family, when it blows up, if it ever does, God forbid. Uh, you know what? You can have a father that's missing in action, but God can provide father figures through the body of Christ. Things were, not very, <clears throat> things were not very good in Corinth. I mean, there was temple prostitution going on. There was all kinds of problems in Corinth. But Paul challenged him to follow him as he followed Christ, as we've read in our text. Paul didn't call Timotheus his son because of his biology, did he? He called him because of his theology. He called Timothy his son, not because he had a physical connection. And, and it's assumed when he writes that to the Corinthians in chapter 4 there, everyone knows when he says the son, they know that's not his biological child. They know that is his son in the faith. He doesn't have to explain it. He doesn't have to describe it. They knew intuitively. There is a spiritual connection to the discipleship process. For this cause I send to you Timotheus, my beloved son, and faithful in the Lord. It was the theology, 
right? What he believed about who God was, he was faithful with that, and he could trust him to take that message to Corinth. Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, and, and he told them of his tender care for this persecuted church. He said in 1 Thessalonians 2 and verse 7, but, ye were made, but we were made gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear unto us. Wow. What kind of gentle words are those? He didn't say, suck it up, buttercup? No. He's like, hey, I know you guys are going through a difficult time. I just want you to know our hearts, we, we long for you. We care about you. We love you. Like a nurse, right? He's talking about a female attribute here of, of nursing. The tender care that Paul had toward the saints, that gentleness, that nurturing, and that admonition of a father, where did he get that? Well, he got that from women. Paul uses, uh, God uses men in our lives to show us what good fathering looks like. And guys, I, I will tell you this. I, I was thinking about this as I was preparing this message. I have had such a good, good fortune. Uh, it, there's no such thing. God has just been good to me my whole life, even before I knew him. I had a good earthly father, my physical father. You know what? He provided for me and my family. He loved me. He loved my mom, made it clear that he loved my mother, protected our family, and he invested in me as a son in the ways that he knew too. And then after that, I got saved and I had a spiritual, I still have a spiritual father, just like Paul and Timothy, Earl Cross led me to Christ. Taught Taught me the fundamentals of the faith. Then I went to work. I had men like Herb Newton, father figures, much older than me, taught me how to be a man at work in a very rough environment, how to still be, how to, you know, be a man, but still to love God and love people the right way to do it. I had these examples. They were like fathers, men in ministry who have gone before and invested in me to step into that father role. You know, I watched Mark Trotter. You guys, many of you know who Mark Trotter was. Man, he spent his final years investing in men like a father. Palira Chabuana, I guarantee you, he sees Mark Trotter as a father figure. And look, he invested. You know what he invested? He took the theology, right? And he invested in a faithful man, Palira Chabuana, and there's a father-son relationship there. Another, another pastor you don't know, I need to get him up here sometime. His name is Lee Ridings. I was at a con- This is a true story. Several years ago, the first discipleship conference for the Living Faith Fellowship, I was a preacher there. And I'm preaching. Lee Ridings comes up to me, Bible college graduate, pastor. He says, brother, I've never, in his Lee Ridings, brother, I've never been discipled, you know. And he tells me how it is, you know, down there from Georgia. And I said, okay. You know what? I didn't disciple him. But you know who did? Mark Trotter. Man, after Mark passed away, Lee Ridings was telling the story how Mark, uh, who also lived in Atlanta at the time, was calling him, getting together every week, just like we do with everybody else and walking through those 16 lessons and investing his life in another man. Yeah, he was a pastor. It didn't matter how much knowledge he had. The issue was he needed a father figure to come in. It didn't matter that he'd been to Bible college. He needed a man to step in his life and exchange life with him. Fathers, that's what we do. That's what makes you a good father. Every man needs a spiritual father in their lives. So the influence of the father will be felt for generations. There's a story of two families and two fates. Jonathan Edwards is one of the greatest minds that God has ever given America. 
Uh, he lived in the state of New York. He was a Christian and believed in Christian training. He married a girl of like character, and from his union, uh, men have studied his life, and there are 729 descendants. Of this, the number uh, of that number came 300 preachers, 65 college professors, 13 university presidents, 60 authors of good books, and United States congressmen, and one vice president of the United States, and, bar- and barring one grandson who married a questionable character, the family was, uh, has not cost the state a single dollar. Versus another gentleman they've studied at that same time. I've also seen this done with John Wilkes Booth, but I couldn't find that data. Uh, but this other fellow was named Max Jukes, who lived in the same state. He did not believe in Christian training. He married a girl of like character, and from this union, men have studied his life. He had 1,026 descendants. 300 of them died prematurely. 100 were sent to the penitentiary for an average of 13 years each. 190 were public prostitutes. Uh, there was 100 drunkards, drunkards. The family cost the state $1,200,000, and they made no helpful, helpful contribution to society. You think fatherhood doesn't matter? You know what the difference is in those two families? It's fathering. It's fathering. Denzel Washington had it right. You know why? Because it's biblical. It's biblical. We need some men to take up the stand as a father. You know, in Judges 6.31, I love this passage. I don't have time to read it. You can go back and read it. But in in Judges 6, look at verses 30 through 31 sometime. I just gave you the thumbnail sketch. You know what happens there? Gideon's out threshing his wheat, right, in secret. Israel's completely dominated by the the Philistines. They're afraid to, to do anything. Uh, they're, 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 their crops will get stolen. They're, they're living in caves. I mean, it's just, it's terrible. They're, they're oppressed. There's oppression, and they need liberty. And you know what? You know the story. God appears to Gideon. Gets Gideon all, all fired up, man. Gideon goes out in the night in secret, knocks over the, the, the pagan, idolatrous, uh, you know, image. Well, guess what? The next day, he's in trouble. Not from the Philistines, because he knocked down their idol. He's in trouble by the church folk. Not really the church folk, but the, the Jews. They're like, whoa, man, you're going to bring it down on us, man. You s- slow your roll. Man, this is, this is, you're too radical, bro. You're going to cause problems in the culture talking about that stuff out loud. And Gideon actually, even though God called him a mighty man, he really didn't behave like one. You know what he needed? You'll never guess. A father. He needed a father. I don't know anything about Joab. But he shows up. This dad steps up and he says, stop it! What are you doing getting on my boy? Which God are you going to serve? You want to serve Baal? Let Baal take care of his own business. Man, are you going to serve God or are you going to serve Baal? All of a sudden, everybody are like, sir, yes, sir, let's go. Gideon still wasn't the strongest of leaders, but God saw what Gideon was going to be. But you know what you see in that story? When push comes to shove, it needed a father to connect the dots between the will of God and the heart of men. And when it needed to happen, it happened. Beloved, let me tell you something. God needs to bring some men who will be fathers, who understand the will of the Father. And when the time is right, they say, yes, we're with Jesus. And they're not afraid, and they're not going to back down. Even if the odds are impossible, the odds have been impossible from the very beginning. Go ye, therefore, and teach all nations. Is that not an impossible mission? 
It's impossible. But with God, nothing's impossible. And you know what this world needs? They need more fathers, more men that will encourage other young men, that will say, listen, get off of the internet, get off of everything else, and get on God's mission. Get back in the Bible. Get back to God's will. Get going with God. We don't have to defend fatherhood because the father's secure. The problem is too many of us are insecure about who the father is in our life. And so let me give you a declaration before I leave, and I'll be quick and be done. Here's my declaration to the fathers. Be clear on your definition of fatherhood. Don't rely on Hollywood. Don't rely on all of that for inspiration. Don't rely on society for your definitions. Rely upon the scripture for your definitions and your inspiration. The Bible is packed full of vivid illustrations of what it means to be a godly man and a godly father. Replicate what you see in godly saints who God has placed in your life and mold to mold your character. As we've seen, these are not only men, but they can also be women. How do, how do you think Paul knew how to be gentle with the church in Thessalonica? He wasn't a woman. He'd never nursed anybody. But he observed, and he, took, he saw the tender care that God gave in provision to children when they were young and tender. You know, Paul was a man's man, and he was tender. You don't have to be some... some faux version of a man, something you see on TV, man. Don't do that. Be a biblical man. You know, Jesus wept. Not all the time, but he wept when it was needed. Be determined as well to fulfill your role as a father. Spiritual persistence will bring satanic resistance. There are two fathers, right? There's God the Father, and then there's that father the devil that Jesus spoke of in John 8. So be prepared to stand and, and be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. You don't have to have physical children to be a good spiritual father. Paul considered Onesimus his son. He considered the Corinthians his sons. He considered Timothy his son. Man, get some sons. Paul called Timothy his beloved son in our text, as well as Timothy. He was not his biological father. And be determined to fulfill your role as a father to your physical children. I don't mean to omit them. Those are important as well. But at length, the goal of every father that has children, if you're born again is to see your children be born again. What, do, what good is it to have all the great fathering skills in the world and have your kids be presidents and judges and all of that other stuff if they die and bust hell wide open? That's the ultimate measure of a good father, is leading your sons and your daughters to Christ. Because children are like arrows in the hands of a mighty man. God has given, to, given your children to you to straighten them out, to prepare them, and then to launch them. So, Dad, our arrows need to be in the hands of mighty men. Are you a mighty man for God? That's what the world needs. Not just mighty men. Not guys that can bench 350. Not guys that can do uh, whatever. Do all that. Great. But what they really need, what the world needs, is mighty men of God. Who know the Word of God. Who stand with the Word of God. Who can use the Word of God who can rightly divide the word of God, who are stewards of the mysteries of Christ, people who can reproduce that in other men and women so that the kingdom of God can advance. You say, oh man, how do I get in on that? Well, I'm glad you asked. We happen to have a VBS going on this week and you can jump right in, even if you haven't already gotten signed up. You know what we do with VBS, what we're doing over here in the E-Wing? We're doing everything I just talked about. To some of these children in our E-Wing, I guarantee you, 
Some of you men, if you would get in that ministry, you don't even know it. You're in there wondering what to do. Those kids are observing you, watching you. You know why? Because they're looking for fathers. Not all of them. Some have got great fathers, and they don't, need, they don't need your fathering. That's great. Praise the Lord for that. Those kids are going to do fine. That's not the ones I'm talking about. There's others that they got a bad dad, and they're contrasting the way you behave versus the way their daddy behaves when they leave church. And he takes off that phony mask that he uses at church, and he goes home and acts like an idiot stick. I hate that. <clears throat> I wish I could control what you guys do. I've heard some horrendous stories of, of that kind of phoniness. Unbelievable hypocrisy. Where are they going to see the real thing? In some of the other men in the church that are real, that are honest, that are true men. So be determined to disciple. I'm out of time, so I'm going to stop there. I think I've made that point sufficiently. I will not give you all my extra details, but let me tell you this. Discipleship. Go online. If you need to get discipled, just sign up. We got people ready to go. We will take the word of God and we will invest in you and get you where you need to go. Fighting for fatherhood. The definition is so important. The definition of fatherhood, the defense of fatherhood, and the declaration. Let's stand together in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning. I pray that these fathers are